Hello, HTBB. Such an honor to be with you here today. And uh, I don't say that lightly. It really is a privilege. In fact, when I was flying in last night, I just felt like I'm touching down. I'm going to call this my second home. Is that all right? Can, can Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia be my second home? I've been here, this is my sixth trip here, and every time I come here, I just get to meet more incredible people. And when I look around the room, I see role models, and you don't hear that word role models very often, you hear the word influencers. But the word influencers, all they can do is change the external, the outside. Influencers say, wear your hair like this, don't know, wear your makeup like this, go to this place on holiday, but role models, role models change your inside. Role models help you with your character, your values, who you are, what you stand for. And I don't just say that. There's many role models in this room for me, so I feel like I'm going to be flying back home more refreshed, more encouraged, with more hope than what I came for. So thank you so much for allowing me to be with you. Last time I was here in February, we spoke on facing fear. Specifically, we talked about the fear of failure. Now, I'm hoping that today's message helps you with your fear of the future, fear of the unknown. I want to share a message with you today called Hashtag Levels. Now, last time I was here, I made a budget video myself. I ripped it off YouTube, I put it into iMovie, and after popular demand, I had to make another one. So, uh, have a, I'm joking, there was no popular demand, no popular demand, but I made one anyway. Had a look. Is that right? Ah, oh, thank you. Yes. Okay. I can go home now. Hey, um, the gaming industry is worth $99.6 billion. That's twice as much as the international film industry. And you might have played games like FIFA or Fortnite or Roblox or Wordle or Pokemon Go. But even though all these games are different, the premise of each game is quite similar. That you go from level to level. And if you want to go to the next level, you first need to complete the level that you're on. It's funny because today we're talking about levels. And for many of us, because of our culture and society, there's this drive, there's this pressure that we have to go to a new level. But sometimes we're so focused on the new level that we forget to really look at the now level, where we are right now. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the new. I love coming into new cities, trying new food, getting new t-shirts. This is authentic, by the way. It's authentic because I really mean what it says. I love KL. I love getting new things, but here's the thing. We don't want to miss out what God's doing in the now just because we're going after the new. And just as we talk about levels today, I want to ask you, what is God wanting to do right now where you are? 
right now where you are, with your friends, with your family, in your sphere of influence, with your friends in your workplace? What does God want to do right now before he prepares you for the now? The funny thing when we talk about levels today is that we're not talking about levels of performance, levels of popularity, levels of position. I'm not talking about accolade or achievement, fame or fortune. No, today we're talking about God's word. So the levels are about becoming more and more like Jesus. That's our purpose in life, just to be more and more like him. And my heart, my hope is that we leave this place more excited to spend time with him and become more like him. But isn't it funny that in gaming, the level goes from hardness to more difficult to more difficult. And we even welcome that hardship because we know as we play the game, we're becoming better and better. But yet when it comes to our faith in Christianity, even though we are going from strength to strength because he is our strength, even though we're going from courage to courage because he is our courage, even though we're becoming more like him with more peace and more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more gentleness, more faithfulness, and more self-control, even though we're becoming more like him, which means we're becoming more stronger because we're relying on him, isn't it funny how we still think that life should become easier and easier? I don't know about you, but I feel like we're living in a day and age where like the Christian life, the blessed life, is about having the easiest life. When really, that's not what the Bible says. Life to the full is the most amazing adventure. But nowhere in the Bible does it say it's easy and then easy. No, the Bible says there's ups and there's downs. There's highs and there's lows. There's mountaintops and there's valleys. And Jesus is with you in every level to help you through. And so today we're going to look at five different levels and how really Jesus can help us through. Now Jesus is in the New Testament, but we're going to go into the Old Testament. We're going to look at a guy called Joseph. The famous Joseph and the Technicolor shell suit. Do you guys get shell suits here? No. Jacket. That was an English joke that didn't work here. But the famous Joseph, his name means addition. His name means increase. His name literally means to level up. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this service. We thank you that you've placed us in a position, a level where we are. May you show us today how we can spot the needs in our current level. And may you also prepare us for the levels you have ahead of us. Lord, we pray that you'll take away our fear. Give us a boldness and a confidence, a courage that only comes from heaven. In your mighty name, amen. Let's go to Genesis, going to Genesis 37 verses 3. And it starts off with Joseph's dad. His name's Jacob. It says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, the technicolor dream coat that we know about. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly, my bundle stood up, and all your bundles gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Level number one is new player. New player. This is the start for Joseph. He has a dream. Now, we've just read some scripture, but let's just pause for a moment. This is a really awkward scripture. It's a really awkward start. His father, Jacob, loves Joseph more than any of the other siblings. 
Like for those of you who've got kids, it'd be like taking your kids out shopping after the service, walking into H&M and say, have whatever you want. Apart from you, I love you the most. Come on, let's go over to Gucci, have whatever you want. And then that loved child is wearing this Gucci jacket while everybody else is wearing H&M. Like, it's an awkward start. So you can see why the brothers hate him. But then God gives Joseph a dream. And in this dream, they all bow down before him. Now, you would think if Joseph was switched on, but he is 17 at this age, you'd think he'd maybe keep it quiet. But oh no, he says, oi, boys, gather in. Yeah, had this dream, right? You all bow down and serve me. Well, they absolutely hate him. Why? Because of his dream. Joseph has a God dream. There's a difference between a good dream and a God dream. A good dream is something you can do with your own skill, your own ability, your own talent, your own intellect. But a God dream? God dream needs God to step in and make it happen. So he has this dream where his brothers are going to bow down before him. There's a lot of things that Joseph could do to try and make it happen. He could take them all for an all-you-can-eat Korean barbecue. That would work. He could take a photo of them, put it on social media. Hashtag love my brothers. Hashtag best brothers ever. Joseph could do a lot to try and make his brothers like him. But there's no way they're ever going to bow down to him. Why? Because they hate him. The only way this dream is going to become a reality is if God steps in. So I want to ask you today, what is your God dream? Not what's your good dream, not what can you do with your own skill, your own ability, what can you do within your own comfort zone. No, what is your God dream? The thing which you know there's no way you can do it yourself. The thing where you leave massive margin for the miraculous. The dream that kind of scares you a little bit, but it's the sort of dream that causes you to run towards God rather than away from Him. What is your God dream? On August the 28th, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr., said, I have a dream that one day my four children will grow up in a nation where they'll not be judged by the color of their skin, but rather the content of their character. Martin Luther King did not have a good dream. He had a God dream. The thing about a God dream is that it can shake a nation. It can change a nation. And it can impact generation after generation after generation. So you might be sitting there saying, Dan, I don't need a God dream. That's what the pastors are here for. They'll tell me what God is saying. I'd say, no, actually, the Holy Spirit speaks through us all. And we all have a dream for our sphere of influence, our friends, our family, our school, our university, our workplace. Every single person in this room here, I believe God wants to give you a God dream. Something that you can't do in your strength, but that will only happen in His strength. Something that can shake your sphere of influence. Something that can change your sphere of influence. Not for our glory, but for His glory. Not for our name or our fame, but for Him. So I want to ask you today, what is your God dream? Maybe you're like, Dan, I've never really thought about it. How do I get one of these God dreams? It's really, really simple. All you need to do is just spend some time with God. Now, I know it sounds so silly, so simple, but just take a moment to think about who he is. He is the original imaginator and creator. God created the heavens and the earth without Pinterest. He created you and me without going to Instagram for inspiration. God is the ultimate source of imagination and creativity. So all we need to do is just pause. Stop being so busy and spend some time in his presence and simply say, God, break my heart for what break yours. 
I know I've walked past these people day in and day out. I know I've ignored the marginalized and the hurting in my sphere of influence, but today is a new day. Today I'm going to make sure that this level that I'm on, I'm going to have a God dream for the people in my world. What is your God dream? Now we have to go on to the next level for every don't. Your God dream will simply remain a daydream. Let's go on to the next scripture. Genesis 37, verses 19, it says, Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. Level number two is kicked out of the clan. Kicked out of the clan. Joseph is hated so much that his brothers tried to kill him and leave him in a pit. In this level, he encounters rejection. I would love to say that there's a passcode or a password that you can just enter into your life and skip this level so that you never have to experience rejection. But the truth is, is that every human being will face rejection. Joseph faced rejection. Martin Luther King Jr. faced rejection. Jesus Christ faced rejection. So the question is not, are you going to have it in your life? The question is, how are you going to respond to it? Are you going to run away from it, or are you going to be ready for it? Because what I realize is that actually, if you're ready for rejection, then your haters can actually act like escalators. They can actually help you up into a level where you become more like Christ. Every time you're rejected, it's an opportunity for you to become more Christ-like. The question is, is how are you responding to rejection? Because rejection hurts. Like it really hurts. Joseph has just been pushed aside by his own family. And maybe you've been rejected by your family, by your friends, in church, outside of church, online, offline. And maybe you've been rejected so much that you don't want that feeling of rejection anymore. And because of that, you live your life with a fear of rejection. Well, this is what I do whenever I'm struggling with that fear of rejection. I spend some time with the one who I know will never reject me. Unfortunately, that's not my sons. Unfortunately, that's not even my wife. Now, that person is my heavenly father. Romans 5 verses 8 says, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us, which means he knows everything we've ever said, thought, and done, past, present, and future, and yet he still loves us. He still accepts us. So when the people of the world reject us, Just spend more time with the one who created the world and allow his overwhelming love to know that you are accepted. And out of that revelation, you'll build up the spiritual strength to be able to withstand any rejection that comes your way. I've battled with rejection for many years of my life. And the fear of rejection looks differently for many people, but for me, it looked like people-pleasing. People-pleasing is where you struggle to say no. You end up nearly burning out, maxing out, saying yes to everybody because you think, You need to say yes, because if you say no, then you might miss out, you might lose out, you might be rejected. The hard thing is, especially in church, is that serving people and people-pleasing looks exactly the same. They both look like helping people. They both look like caring for people. But the difference is the motive. The difference is the heart. You see, when you're serving people, you're doing it because you know that you are accepted. But when you're pleasing people, you're doing it so that you feel accepted. When you're serving people, you're doing it so they feel like they belong. But when you're pleasing people, you're doing it so that you feel like you belong. Ultimately, when you're serving people, you're doing it to help them. But really, when you're pleasing people, 
You're doing it to help yourself because you feel lost and broken and you don't want to be excluded by these people. But when you spend some time with Jesus Christ and you build your identity in him and you know no matter what you do, yesterday, today, or forever, you build your identity in him and you know that you're accepted, you can live your life making the decisions where sometimes you say yes and sometimes you say no, but you make them out that right motive of doing it to serve people. Joseph is a level two rejection. And for many people, this level takes us out. We give up. We don't want to go any further. But there is much more. There is another level. Joseph's brothers end up selling him into slavery. They see some human traffickers coming past, and they think, well, why not make some money off this? They sell him into slavery, and Joseph starts working for a guy called Potiphar. Now, when he gets to Potiphar's house, even though he is a slave, he goes above and beyond. He goes the extra mile. No one is telling him to lead this way. No one is telling him he needs to behave this way. There's something in him which makes him want to go the extra mile. You know, the extra mile is not something anyone can tell you to do. It's only something that you can choose to do. If anyone says, can you do this and do that? Choose to do it if you want to, but know that the extra mile is something you decide to do from your heart. And that's what Joseph does. And do you know what the result is? Do you know what the consequence? Well, He just keeps getting promoted. In fact, he brings so much leadership. He brings so much, so many good ideas that the scripture says that Potiphar doesn't need to worry about anything else other than what he's having for dinner. Whether he's having pork or duck or chicken, some roti, some noodles or some rice. That's all he's got to worry about. Everything else is sorted by Joseph. Everybody loves Joseph, including Potiphar's wife. Level number three is hacker alert. Hacker alert. In gaming terms, the word hacker is someone who's trying to destroy your game, trying to stop you from stepping into you, stopping you from everything you want to step into. Potiphar's wife really, really likes Joseph. Let's have a look at the scripture. It says this in Genesis 39 verse 6. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. I just put that line in bold there because I think this is a key line here. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around. When he went to do his work, she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away. And left his cloak in her hand and he ran from the house. If rejection doesn't take you out, temptation might take you out. Or at least cause you to quit. Cause you to give up on everything God is calling you to. Cause you to stop stepping into everything that God has for you. Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. Now you might think, well maybe it's because she wasn't very attractive. Maybe it was an easy thing for him to run away. But I did some research And actually, in the historical books, she was described as Zulikia, which means that she was gorgeous. She was stunning. She was beautiful. So Joseph is not running away because he's not attracted to her. He's running away because he's more attracted to the call of God. He's running away because he's a man of integrity. 
And integrity is who you are when everyone is looking. And integrity is who you are when no one is looking. What does it look like for you on this level? When temptation comes your way to keep your distance and to run the other direction. I remember when I proposed to my wife. uh, We've been married 13 years now. And what we did is we changed our Facebook status at exactly the same time to engaged. Just so it wasn't awkward for the other one. You know, I didn't want to say I was engaged to her and she didn't. So we did it exactly the same time. And randomly, my ex-girlfriend messages me on Facebook. I've just seen that you're engaged. Do you want to catch up? (laughs) Well, I didn't even need to have a conversation with my wife. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I just didn't reply, and I actually ended up blocking her from my Facebook. And you might think, well, Dan, you might have offended her. Isn't that a bit rude? But you know what I've realized, actually, in my short time of being a Christian, is that actually sometimes it's good to offend some people and not go to some places and not look at some things and say no to some things so that you can say yes to the things of God. I was just starting in a brand new relationship with my wife, both of us putting God first. I don't want to jeopardize anyone, so I offended the ex so I could say yes to what God was calling me to. What does it look like for you to say no? Because there's always going to be people trying to pull you down a level. The enemy is always going to try and stop you from becoming more like Jesus Christ. So what does that look like for you to keep your distance, to stop going to that place, to stop hanging out with that person, stop looking at that website? At the same time as saying this, you've got to understand is that we are reading Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. And because we read it through the lens of the New Testament, we know that Jesus Christ came and died and rose again and went to the cross for all of our sin and our shame and our guilt. And as I speak this out today and read the scripture, I'm fully aware that there will be people in the room who have given in to temptation. And today you're not sitting here with an overwhelming sense of his grace. But instead, you're sitting here today with guilt and shame and condemnation. Well, because we're reading this through the lens of Jesus Christ, know that he came from heaven to earth so that you do not need to sit here today with guilt and shame and condemnation. And know that, yes, just because you might have given in to temptation and made a mistake and done something that you didn't want to do, it does not disqualify you from the call of God. And it does not stop you from stepping into everything that God has for you. Today, you need to know that you are loved. Joseph makes the right decision, but he ends up in the wrong place. What happens is that Potiphar's wife tells the husband Potiphar that Joseph attacked her. She makes up a lie. And because of that, Potiphar puts Joseph in prison. Level number four is game over. Game over. It's funny, isn't it, how sometimes we make the right decision, a decision of integrity, a decision of character, And yet it seems to have a negative impact on our life. And sometimes it causes us to say, well, maybe maybe I should have just told a little white lie. Maybe I should have just bent the truth. Maybe I shouldn't have spoken up when I should have spoken up. But here's the thing. Yes, Joseph has gone down a level on the outside, but he's actually gone up a level on the inside. His character has just developed and been prepared for what is going to happen in the future. And times when you keep your character and your integrity intact, even though it might not always work out as perfect as you'd like it to, please be encouraged that God is with you and he sees you. And this is so significant, more significant than what happens on the outside. But Joseph is in prison. What is prison? This is the level where you feel like giving up. This is the lowest of the low. 
when he was in there, he had no idea how long he would have been in there. It's the time when you would have thrown in the towel. If that was me, I would have been like, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? And where are you now? And maybe you're in a game over situation. You're in a prison situation and you're just like, God, where are you right now? How are you allowing me to get through this? The same person is bullying me. The same, the same person at work is pushing me out and excluding me. My finances, I can't pay the bills. My relationships are a mess. My, my career, I can't see any future. You're in this prison situation. You're like, God, where are you? Because we've been taught that the way you know God is with you is because you are highly favored, blessed. Your finances are perfect. Your relationships are perfect. Everything in your life is going so well. So we think that that is an indication that God is with us. That's a lie. God is with you, and he's especially with you in the pain. And he's especially with you in the hard time. Now, don't get me wrong. I've got a lot of questions to ask God when I get to heaven. There's so much stuff that I'm not sure about. But since becoming a father, I've got to understand a little bit about how the father's heart might work. I've got Knox, who's five, and Nico, who's one and a half. And I've had to take both of them for injections when they're six months old. So they don't get tuberculosis or um, any other diseases later on in life. And every time... I've walked them in there, and I've held them in my arms. They've got these big, bulging eyes. They've got their mom's eyes, their beautiful eyes. And they're just looking at me as if to say, you're my good, good father. I love you so much. You're such a consistent father. You'd never let anything hurt me. And I look at them going, that's true. That's true. I'm a good, good father. I love you so, so much. And then this stranger with a big needle and a mask over their face comes and just sticks them in the leg. And their eyes start quivering and their hands start shaking and they're looking at me. And even though they can't speak, they're trying to say, wait a minute, you're meant to be my good, good father. I trusted you. You're my protector. Why are you allowing this stranger to put a needle in my arm? But the thing is, because they're six months old, they don't have the maturity or the capacity to understand why I would allow that to happen. Now my son is five. I can tell him. The reason I allow Nico to go through the five minutes of pain is because I don't want him to be killed by tuberculosis or any other disease later on in life. I allow him to go through that situation because I want him to live life to the full, his best life. And in the same way, sometimes we go through these prison situations, these hard situations. We're like, God, why? Why are you allowing us to go through that? But you know what? He sees things from another perspective. And even though he doesn't want us to go through pain, Romans 8 verses 28 says, he can turn all things around for good for those that love the Lord. And he does use that pain to give us a spiritual strength and resilience to prepare us for what he has in the future. I don't know if some of you are struggling right now and you think God's not with you. I want to encourage you that he is with you. How do I know that? Because the scripture says so. Let's just read this passage. In Genesis 39 verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the, Joseph, the, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. That first line, but the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his love. If you're in that situation today, God wants to use you in that situation. He wants to use you in that situation just as much as any other prominent situation, which we might think is much greater. God can use us anywhere. 
Joseph is in prison, and in the place of pain, he continues to serve others. If you are hurting, get the help that you need. Get the therapy, get the restoration, get the, get the rest, speak to the pastors and the leaders, do everything you can. But the thing I notice about Joseph is that even in the middle of pain, he didn't keep his eyes always inward focused. No, he looked out and he sees two lads with sad faces and he says to them, why are you sad? He says, we have dreams, but we don't know what they mean. He says, dreams? Well, God can help you with that. He translates the dreams. Both of those dreams come true. And one of those lads ends up getting out of prison and becoming Pharaoh's right-hand man. Pharaoh is the king of all of Egypt. Now, Pharaoh has some dreams, and no one can tell him what the dreams mean. Now, that same guy, two years later, says, oh, I met this guy in prison. Yeah, this guy called Joseph. We should get Joseph up here. So Pharaoh says, send for him at once. And what happens next is nothing short of a miracle. Well, let's read the final scripture. It says this in Genesis 41 verse 15. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night and no one here can tell me what it means. No Harry Potter, no Gandalf, no wise men. No one could tell him what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Well, it's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man? So obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is intelligent or as wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have, a, will have a rank higher than yours. The final level is this, level up. He was in the prison when it was game over. And whenever, as human beings, we think it was game over, God's always saying, I'm just getting started. Whenever, as human beings, we say, there's no hope, there's no chance, God has said, no, you watch what I can do. Because if you can do it in your strength, then you give it your best shot. But if you want to just wait to see what I can do, let me show you what I can do. He becomes prime minister of all the land. He has authority and influence and power. And so the question is, why would God raise up Joseph? Why would he put him in a significant position of power? It was because Joseph reflects the characteristics of the father. And he gives glory to the father. How do we know that Joseph reflects the characteristics of the father? Because the God dream comes true. The brothers come to Egypt because there's a famine in the land. They bow before Joseph. And what does Joseph do? A king with all this power and all this authority? Surely, because hurting people hurt people. And rejected people reject people. Surely Joseph says, you're off. You're out. You're dead. You're in prison. But no, do you know what he does? He responds with grace and love and mercy. He forgives them all. And he sends them back with, with provision. This is our father. And this is why God promoted him. He was 17 when he was sold into slavery. He was 30 when he became prime minister of all the land. 13 years. 13 years he could have quit. 13 years he could have thrown in the towel. But he wanted to be obedient with what God had called him to do in every level. If the worship team want to join me up here, we'll just show you the different levels. Because so often we think that the Christian life is just going from one success to another success. But that's not what progress looks like in the... Um, 
in the Bible. He was loved by his father. Then he was rejected by his brothers. He was promoted by Potiphar, but then he was put in prison by Potiphar's wife. And then he was promoted to prime minister of all the land. I don't know what level you're in right now. I don't know what struggle you're in right now. I don't know whether you're on the mountaintop or the valley, but know that fruit grows in the valley. I don't know whether you're having a good time or a really struggling time, but I know that God wants to meet you where you are and help you right where you are. Thank you.